In this episode of the STEM Space, I chat with Dr. Trudy Hugenboom, a planetary scientist and teacher. She shares her journey in science and the exciting work of her students in searching for unidentified asteroids. She lets us know how you can be involved in the Citizen Science Project, plus advice for Space Club teams participating in the upcoming Space Colony competition. This is an audio recording of Space Club Career Chats. You're invited to share the video with your students. Enjoy. Hey, I'm Claire. And I'm Natasha. From college roommates to co-founders of Vivify STEM, pull up a seat as we discuss our experiences as aerospace engineers, teachers, moms, program directors, curriculum writers, graduate students, and friends. This is the STEM Space Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Space Club Career Chats. We're so excited to have you here. We have a really awesome guest above me, <laughs> Dr. Trudy, and we're going to ask her all your questions. But first, I want to do a shout out to all the teams out there competing in the Space Colony competition. We have judges standing by. I don't know, Dr. Trudy might be one of the judges, we can my recruiter, but we're so excited to see the colonies, the habitats you're creating on the moon and on Mars. So get ready for that competition happening very soon. All right, so we're going to jump right in here with Dr. Trudy. So you've read her bio, but as a reminder, she's a planetary scientist and planetary science teacher with a PhD in geophysics from the University of Leeds located in the UK. Dr. Trudy has worked as a research scientist at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, the Lunar Planetary Institute, and the Arctic Planetary Science Institute. She co-authored the first topographic map of Io, which is the moon of Jupiter, and the first geological map of the, the massive asteroid for Vesta. She joined at Astra Astronova, a school founded by Elon Musk and Josh Don at SpaceX, so cool, teaching learners around the world to use astrophysical software to find main belt asteroids, including AI detection of craters on the moon and glacier mapping on Mars. Her Astronova Asteroids Search Team students even located previously unidentified asteroids which is amazing. So Dr. Trudy, what I'd like to do is just jump in and share some of these questions that the students had. Um, so first, before we got on, you went, you studied in the UK, but you actually said you're from Australia. So can you tell us a little bit about oh, where you're from? I'm Australian. I'm from, I was born in a small town called Ballarat. Um, and I grew up in a small town called Bendigo. Uh, and so, yeah, so I'm Australian, but I live in the US. Uh, now I've been in the US since I came to the Jet Propulsion Lab in... 2004 um so yeah so but I still have an accent my I still sound um I teach planetary science as you said before and I have a constant fear that my students will one day be university students and will pronounce you know certain scientific terms um Australian like not oh, that's you know, funny. like aluminium aluminum those kind of things so yeah it's really it really is interesting um, I love it. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here. Um, I'm also, my students are competing in your competition, by the way. Oh, um, so I have to excuse you from judging them. Yeah, so don't let, don't, I would happily judge. I judge science competitions all the time. Uh, just don't let me judge this. I love it. Well, good luck to your students if they're out there watching. Uh, and the first question is, what was the spark that got started in all of this up until now? What got you to like it? I love these questions. I remember being in grade four at Epsom Primary School, and it was a very small kind of primary school. There's maybe a hundred kids in the whole school. This um, is in Australia. 
in Australia. Um, and we had a project to do. We were asked to, we had to make a poster. And the poster was like this big on any planet that we wanted. Um, and I still remember it. My parents do not have that poster anymore. It's long gone. But I remember it. I remember making this poster on Mars. I remember, I just, I remember just loving it. Um, my dad had some old books, uh, uh, like like encyclopedias, and I just I I just really loved it. There was something about it that about planets that just clicked. Um, my career has not been just planets. Um, I wasn't 100%. It was not like I focused on planets from grade three, and you know, and that's where I am now. Um, but there's nothing that I love more. Right. I just I love planets. I just love it. I love I love planets. I love asteroids, comets, all those things. Just really into it. Did you look up at the stars? Like, were you looking through telescopes, or was it all in books on TV? Like, it was all on books. I lived. Um, I lived in uh, outside of Bendigo. And Bendigo was a small town, and so I lived outside of Bendigo. Um, so when you looked up at the stars, uh, when you're in areas that don't have much light pollution, you look up the stars, and you can see a lot more stars. Um, so I do remember spending a lot of time, you know, laying down on the ground in the paddock and looking up at the stars. Um, neither of my parents were scientists. Neither of them went to university until after my sister and I went to university really? um, so so I yeah I was lucky that I had parents that loved education and saw the importance of education um, but I didn't have a telescope or um, mm. access in the small country town that I grew up in I didn't have a telescope so it was all books um, uh, and I still I still love planet books yeah and the second question here from North Carolina is the same idea of like how young were you when you were interested so it sounds like fourth grade fourth grade when the spark and then how did that turn into i want to become a planetary scientist that when was that really happen? old i was 26 i was oh. 26 when i went wait i could be a planetary scientist i don't think i'd ever thought that, that was possible for me mm. um, and i was you know i'd gone through i did an applied physics degree and then and i still even at that point had not just had not even thought that it was possible for me and then i started my phd and i was like wait to do a PhD on something that I love. There's nothing I love more than my, you know, than planets um, and my dogs and my kids and my students, obviously, for, you know, just in case my kids ever watch this and are like, what, you love the planets more than us? Um, but yes, uh, so I think I was like 26, 27 and starting my PhD and I was like, yeah, I, I can do this. And something something inside of me was, gave me, I don't know what it was, the confidence that I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to go do this. And I just kept trying and, and it, uh, it's like life, right? You need yeah, to, yeah. sometimes you'll fail, you need to get back up and keep moving. And um, that's how my my path to planetary science went essentially. Well, let's talk about some of the work that you've done. Um, so we pulled some pictures here and one question here from Ohio, what subject are you studying right now? Is it to help the public or is it something that scientists need to know? This is from Yana from Birchwood School. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. Yana, I am a huge, massive fan of citizen science, like a massive fan. Whenever I can, I get my students into citizen science. Um, uh, and so what am I working on right now? I'm actually working with a, um, a high school student um, uh, to try and figure out the depth of um, ocean features on Ganymede. Um, and where uh, is so that? 
the Ganymede's a moon um, in the uh, you know outer solar system. It's my favorite moon, favorite planetary body uh, uh, ever. Um, it's the only planetary body in uh, the solar system that has a magnetic field like that is functional, like the Earth, not a remnant leftover um, dead magnetic field, but a you know a current field. Um, and so I'm doing that. I'm also massively into uh, finding asteroids, which is your next question too, right? Yeah, go ahead. Um, so, uh, so, so I'm into that. Um, but I do spend a large quantity of my time teaching students. Um, I made the switch to um, to uh, you know uh, Astronova School, um, uh, and I, I really love sharing this love that I have for you know with them. Um, how do your students locate previously unidentified asteroids? Um, there, if you want to be involved in this, um, I run this for about 250 kids. Um, uh, around the world. It's not just um, American kids. Um, it is run through a citizen science program. Um, but if you have any interest in doing this, Natasha is going to give you my email and you're going to contact me and I'll set you up. I'm a huge fan of uh, students. Um, I don't think that student that that uh, people often realize, you know, the potential of, of you know, a variety of students. That the student, you have the capacity to do this. I've, I have 20, um, I've 20, they, they found 20, 20 uh, provisional asteroids um, yeah. already. It's not just one, like they've, yeah, and we've been working on it for a year. Um, but if you are interested, please contact Natasha and I will um, Can you, know, you up. like give me an idea of what that means? Like, are they looking at images from- Oh, it's on data. It's, okay. yeah, it's on data. You're not using a telescope. You're not, you don't have to go and buy a $2,000 telescope and look up at the sky. Um, that is one way to go and find asteroids. Um, there are multiple ways. Uh, the way that we do it in asteroid search team um, is that we use data from PanStars. Um, and PanStars is a telescope uh, system in uh, Hawaii. Um, we also uh, go through a program called ISAAC, um, which is International Asteroid Search Collaboration. What I do is I teach kids how to use professional astrophysics grade software. Um, it is not difficult at all. Um, I never had a less than 10 year old succeed at it, by the way. And I've done a lot of, I've had a, a bunch of, you know, profoundly gifted, just trying to figure out who can, how low can I get a student to, I've never had anyone below the age of 11. Um, uh, but yeah, we use, we get data uh, that comes off the telescopes um, in Hawaii. Uh, and we, we import that data into a software program called Astrometrica. Um, I teach kids how to use that. It takes about 40 minutes. Um, and then there is a bit of back and forth after that where students contact me and go, is this an asteroid? Is this not an asteroid? Is this an yeah, but after that, they're on their own and they're little machines. That's so cool. Yeah, it's really cool. And if you like, so you, you, your asteroid needs to be, you know, defined as a provisional asteroid. Um, not everything that we submit becomes a provisional asteroid, but you get to name it. Like if it makes it to provisional wow. asteroids, you get to name it. Like, so... Uh, I like think a name that your students do you know have like a name they've picked um no that I make them do them in, do it individually and not in teams yeah. so that it's their discovery and they get to choose the name there are rules the international astro um astronautical what is it why do I get this wrong IAU it's mm -hmm. international astronomical union um is in charge of naming all objects in the solar system so you can't call it you can't call it after a dead pet 
for instance. Um, you cannot call an asteroid after a um, political figure unless they have passed away for about 100, I think it's 100 years. So there are rules. Um, but I do have students that are like, I'm going to call it peanut butter jelly sandwich. And I'm like, please no. Um, but you know, you know, you can call it Trudy. I um, I promised um, the school's founder that I would. Um, I've only found one, by the way. There are kids, students of mine, that have found many more than me. It oh, is wow. so frustrating um, that they are so much better at it than me. Um, anyway, I promised um, I promised Josh that I would name it uh, Astronova School. So that's oh, what it's going to be called. Yeah. But um, well, we'll see. I'm curious what we're looking at here on this slide, this picture, because is this related to the topographical map that you created? Uh, this is, yeah, this is, this is must be, yeah. So uh, this was uh, some postdoctoral work at Lunar Planetary Institute with Oliver White, Paul Schenk um, and Francis Nimmo. Um, and so we, uh, we uh, made a map of the, of the uh, topography of Io. Io is a moon of Jupiter. Um, all of this data comes off from old missions, right, from Voyager and Galileo um, and some of um, some more recent stuff. Um, but the downside to this topographic map, which I only re realized recently, um, is that the topography of Io changes all the time. There's constant volcanism on Io. Um, you would not expect that because it's so far out in the solar system, but constant volcanism. So you have volcanoes making more volcanoes, your topography is going to change. So, uh, yeah, you know, one of the exciting things about being a scientist is that you make predictions and you discover stuff that you that no one else has discovered and you think that one day someone's going to land on Venus uh possibly after I'm long dead and they'll be like yeah Trudy was right <laughs> or um but this is not one of those things because of all the volcanism I'm like oh my goodness um so someone's going to need to make uh new topographic maps the next time we get new data um but it's really tricky what's the question say what was the most difficult, difficult thing yeah um, okay, you can't just, no one's landed there, right? No one's landed and measured how tall this mountain is, um, how deep this, uh, you know, crater is, et cetera, et cetera. And so what they do is they take two, um, two images and they, um, it's called, it's a method called um, stereographic projection where you can overlay uh, images and it's similar to um, when you, have you ever looked at one of those posters? You know, the one where you can see that if you hold, stand away from the poster and there's a yeah. statue of liberty in it, if you look at it a certain way, you can see it in 3D. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so it's a, it was a very, the most difficult thing I think was, it was computationally intensive. Um, and uh, Oliver White and myself and, and all the other people are involved spend a lot of time with the, you know, ISIS software overlaying these images and getting them to match up. And it was uh, tedious. Some of science is tedious, Natasha. Yeah. Um, but the result is so cool. That's what makes great, yes, perseverance <laughs> and getting through the, the tedium is um, leads to amazing, great discoveries. And I love that. Well, we have a few more questions, but this is going to be a little different. So this part of career chats we call rapid fire. So I'm gonna give you like 30 seconds per question. We got some really good questions here. Uh, so whatever comes to you, are you ready? Okay, I'm ready. Okay. I'm scared, but I'm ready. What is your dream thing to find on another planet? Uh, alien life or water. No, uh, oh no, you're right. Okay, oh God, no, I have to, no you're stressing me out. Okay. Um, Next question. Water, water, water. Final answer. Locked it in. Water. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Does the gravity from the sun affect gravity here on Earth? Oh, that's an excellent question. 
Benjamin. That's really good. Um, gravity from the sun definitely affects the gravity here on Earth without uh, question. The sun's gravity is uh, one of the major forces that, you know, control the motion of all of the planets, you know, in our solar system. Works the same for an exoplanet around another star in a solar system that we don't even know about. These laws of physics hold true no matter where we are. Um, the gravitational force is what keeps the Earth in its orbit. Um, so, yeah, it's a really, uh, for sure, the Earth, gravity of the sun really does um, uh, affect um, uh, us here on Earth. Um, that's a really cool question. Yeah, how, old what, where, how old is the birth? Middle school. Yeah, middle school. Middle school. Great. That's a really good yeah. question. All right. Seventh grader, do you have a favorite planet? What is it? It's not a favorite planet. I just am a really huge fan of Ganymede. Um, generally you will find people that have, and this is, this may be a stereotype, so I'm going to, I'm just going to go with it anyway. Generally you'll find people that do their PhD on something. Um, whatever that first thing that you really got into tends to be your favorite. So I bet most people, if you ask, if they've done a PhD on a certain planet. Um, so if you asked me when I was a PhD student, I would have said Venus for sure. Um, and the, I'm going to say Venus, but uh, Ganymede is so much cooler than Venus will ever be in my opinion. Okay, so why? Give me like one reason why. Uh, a magnetic field, right? This moon is massively large compared to, you know, most moons um, in our known solar system. Um, there are uh, what we think are caves on Ganymede as well. Um, there has a subsurface ocean, so potential for life. Um, but I'm all about magnetic field. I just, I just think it's really fascinating. Awesome. Um, it's also really pretty. All right. Nick from Ohio, what do you find unusual in space? Everything's unusual in space. <laughs> um, and that's what makes it so, so cool. Being unusual is the greatest thing that you can be. Um, what do I find unusual in space? Everything, right? Just the idea that um, how difficult it is for us to solve these space problems, right? For us to be able to um, eventually, uh, you know, have habitats on Mars or on, you know, the moon um, first with the Artemis mission. Um, everything's unusual, right? Uh, every, it's, yeah. I don't have a personal favorite for that one. Okay, final question from the speed of light in New York. Were there any failures in your research when you were working at JPL and how did you solve them? Yeah, there are constant failures in research, constant. And this is what um, is a great skill to develop resi resilience right now as a middle school, high school, um, elementary school. Um, there is always failures. When I started my job at the Jet Propulsion Lab, I went there to work on a, on a new Venus mission. Um, I was there for maybe three weeks and that mission got cancelled, right? Um, so everything that I thought that I'd be working on, I was not working on. Um, and then I went to work um, using uh, Mars data uh, with Sue Smarkar uh, and it was uh, it turned out amazing. Um, but there are always failures. There are day-to-day -day failures where you're like, why can't I get my code to work? Why is you know why is this thing this data not fitting with this data? Um, yeah, there are always um, there are always, uh, I, I tell my students this all the time, it's one of the best things that you can develop right now, and that is the resilience to go, huh, something's not working. Um, you know, I'm going to step back from it, I'm going to, you know, come back and I'm going to keep going until I, you know, persevere and succeed. Yeah. Um, I don't think, I've never had a research project that hasn't had some sort of, uh, you know, problem that had to be solved. Um and that's, I think, not a bad thing.
I actually like the failures these days. Sometimes you learn more out of the failures than you do the successes. Yeah. All right. So we have one more minute and I'm going to let you say whatever you want, but I want you to think about, we have students competing in a few Mm -hmm. weeks. Do you have any advice? Because I know you have some teams, but for the other kids out there, what advice do you have for students? Maybe if they're interested in planetary science and then for the competition. Okay, competition sciences are the best thing that you can get into at this um, at this stage of your life. I think being able to um, compete and go learn. What's great about these sort of competitions, and especially the Vivify competition, the, your, the competition that you're running, um, or your space settlement competition, is it lets you focus on whatever you really like mm-hmm. about what are you most interested in. Are you most interested in solving for um, for uh, you know all of for oxygen? How you'd grow plants? Um, I do generally tell people um, that using the materials and the using the uh, whatever's in situ or whatever is around you on wherever your habitat may be, Mars, Moon, etc., is a good idea. Um, you want to protect yourself from solar radiation, right? Um, and the best way to do that is not to ship 30 billion tons of stuff from the earth. It's to, you know, um, build your, uh, your settlement inside a lava tube, um, inside a cave. There are over a thousand caves, um, that have been discovered, um, or suggested caves, um, by, uh, Glenn Cushing at the U S, um, GS, um, on Mars alone. Um, so yeah, I'm always like, think about what's already there and use what you've already got. I love it. Well, you, I know you have to go. So if you have any advice, I'll kick you out. (laughs) No, this is so fun. I really love this. I'm super happy to judge to whatever you need. Um, I think, I think space is a disruptive technology that is really important for, um, for all, uh, for students to learn. I think it'll be a, a, a career in, you know, in, in the future. So yeah, I'm a big fan. Thanks for having Yeah, thank you, Dr. Trudy, and goodbye, everyone. We'll see you at the next Career Chats. Do you get our free weekly newsletter? If not, you're missing out on amazing content, free resources, and ideas from Vivify and other STEM education leaders. All you need to do to subscribe is head to vivifystem.com backslash subscribe and get your copy delivered right to your inbox.